Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interviewed Julia Cohen, co-founder and managing director of the Plastic Pollution Coalition. Now, I really don't want to give a long spiel here because this episode is a wild one. Julia and her sister have been running the coalition for over 10 years. And fast forward to today, it is the world's largest organization of businesses, individuals, and organizations alike committed to reducing single-use plastic around the world. And in the episode, Julia and I will discuss how exactly the coalition came to start, the effect of COVID on single-use, and whether or not it's actually restarted progress that's been made here, the different projects that the coalition is working on today, and all of the different opportunities that she's seeing in entertainment, commerce, and everything in between. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Julia Cohen, co-founder and managing director of the Plastic Pollution Coalition. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. Very nice to meet you and happy to be here. Awesome. Julia, I'm so excited that we were able to connect. Um, Thank you, Melissa, for, for the introduction. Julia, quickly, can you just give the listeners a brief rundown on what the Plastic Pollution Coalition is and how you came to start it? So the Plastic Pollution Coalition is the oldest, largest global coalition of organizations, businesses, and notable individuals and thousands of everyday individuals who have all come together under uh, a big tent to reduce single-use plastic and its toxic impacts on people, planet, animals, the environment, everything. And we started a little over 10 years ago with initially 25 organizations gathering together on the kickoff day of 350.org. And we have since then grown to over 1,200 businesses and organizations, thousands of individuals, and over 150 notable ambassadors, including chefs, surfers, musicians, artists, you name it. Plus, we helped start the Break Free from Plastic movement, which has now thousands of organizations in addition to ours. And we represent groups from over 75 countries and on six continents. That's super impressive. And I think what I'd love to highlight there is when you date the Eureka moment or the founding founding story, you were really sounding the alarm far before it's become part of the status quo, right? Now we're seeing plastic bans. There's memes that even troll people who are using plastic bottles and cups, et cetera. So when you were starting, what really inspired you to kick off when really no one was talking about this? So why I'm a co-founder is because my sister, Diana is also one of our co-founders, along with three other people that she met in the beginning of her journey from being a artist using plastic as her medium. She had been using paper bags and moved to plastic bags. She's a fine artist who makes two dimensional, three dimensional collages and videos and had started seeing pieces that she had made with plastic bags that she hand sews together and puts either in box frames or their like installation sculptures um, that were in other people's homes and collections some of those pieces were starting to break up 
and and disintegrate or deteriorate inside the frame and especially pieces that were in the sun or had direct sunlight at some point uh, during their day and she became kind of obsessed with it she's like oh wow you know it it, um, biodegrades just like us isn't that cool she's looking at these pieces and seeing them you know fall apart but thinking it's cool and so she started learning more about it and looking into it and she found out actually plastic doesn't biodegrade plastic photo degrades but it never goes away It, it breaks into microplastics and you know smaller and smaller pieces and in the course of her journey to learn more about it she started you know reaching out to folks she knew and asking for people to talk to and recommendations and she started meeting a a bunch of other folks including captain charlie moore the founder of algalita and the person to kind of officially coin the term the great pacific garbage patch and he has a boat called the algalita that's in long beach and grew up as a kid with his whole family sailing from the West Coast of California to Hawaii and going through this same patch of the Pacific Ocean um, repeatedly over the course of his lifetime. And over the course of that, in the last 20 years, he started seeing plastic accumulate. And so Captain Moore introduced her to other people, and she eventually found herself at a meeting at Google where they were developing Google Oceans. And a bunch of the other people she met at that meeting became the other co-founders of the Plastic Pollution Coalition. And I, being a Washington, D.C. politico who's been here for over 25 years and worked in coalition politics, when she told me about these other people she had met and what they were doing different things, but they all cared about and were concerned about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and the issue of plastic pollution, I said, sounds like you need a coalition. And she, being an artist, said, what's a coalition? And here we are 10 years later. <laughs> so I want to jump in a bit further there. Can you demystify like what is a coalition versus uh, uh, what I suppose is uh, maybe similar in nature to nonprofit legal structure? I mean, mm-hmm. how do those two structures either coexist or how are they different? What, what does it mean to be a coalition? Right. Well, most coalitions are nonprofits, so there's that overlap. Associations are another name for groups all working together. A lot of associations can be for profits, you know, like they're mm-hmm. business associations and just business associations. Some of those are still nonprofits, but a coalition is a way of working together with other groups, people, businesses, other nonprofit organizations all towards a shared goal and ours here to eliminate single-use plastic pollution and its toxic impacts, but also to fill the gaps and see from a bird's eye view what's missing to pull together a lot of potentially disparate groups. So literally the Teamsters, the labor group, and the Girl Scouts of America joined our coalition on the same day. I'm not sure there's any other coalition or collaboration or association that has the Girl Scouts and Teamsters in it. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So what I want to get your perspective on is one side of the narrative, which says all plastic is bad, right? And that's a nuanced stance, right? And then the other part, which suggests that all plastic isn't bad. It's plastic that's used a single time and then thrown away is bad, right? And it's more of a design flaw Mm -hmm. than the material being this 
you know, destructive thing that has no benefit to humanity. Where do you stand on that spectrum? And then how do you think people should think about plastic when they consider either integrating into their day to day or organizations choosing to include it or dispel it? What's your take here? So it is very nuanced and there's a lot of gray area. It's a big spectrum. Plastic is an incredibly useful, innovative material that has helped humanity progress in a multitude of ways. I mean, we are communicating because of this plastic laptop that I have or phone, et cetera, through generally fiber optic cables, artificial hearts. I mean, you name it, our cars significant portions of our home, et cetera. So yes, single use plastic that is a design flaw, you know, meant to be used momentarily and quote unquote thrown away is, Mm -hmm. you know, the original part of most people's awareness and a huge part of the problem. The majority of packaging is made from plastic. The majority of plastic pollution is packaging. So food, beverage, personal care packaging is the biggest part of the problem. Mm -hmm. But plastic from creation to disposal causes problems. The majority of plastic is made from petroleum or fracking gas byproducts. Even bioplastics have all kinds of issues because it's about not only the source material, but then the additives. All kinds of chemicals are used to make plastic clear, colored, flexible, hard, you know, multiple, etc. And those chemicals are phthalates, bisphenols, BPA, etc that have known carcinogenic, et cetera, you know, impacts on humanity and animals and the environment. So there's that when it comes directly to individual human health in particular, there's also the extraction and the waste management and even the manufacturer production generally happens in less developed countries, neighborhoods, areas, and the people living in the shadow of those factories are extremely affected with some of the highest asthma rates in the world, et cetera. Significant portion of plastic pollution is now being documented as being part of air pollution. And air pollution kills like thousands of people on a regular basis. And a significant portion of air pollution is from petroleum products and plastic in those factories. So every step of the way, the entire life cycle has negative health impacts for humanity, number one, but everything else as well. Mm-hmm. So I want to zoom in to the state of affairs today because mm-hmm. I've spoken to founders of the last few episodes from not PLA and, you know, engineering the seaweed-based packaging solution to QSR founders that rely on these single-use to-go products How have you seen COVID affect businesses' interest or ability to adopt solutions that are more planet-friendly? And I guess more broadly, what are you seeing here? What are your recommendations for consumers and businesses alike to try to behave responsibly during this time? Sure. Big question. The plastic industry or big plastic, as we refer to it, is also kind of one in the same with big oil and gas. And they have already, I think, requested and gotten, what, a $1.8 billion bailout. They are using this pandemic to prop up an industry that was failing before COVID-19. 
especially fracking, which was seen as like the boom for the entire industry and its savior and was not, it turns out. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they could make plastic from ethylene crackers was seen as a huge benefit to the industry. And so all of the single-use packaging and plastic that has really exploded in particular in the last 10 years is not just from human desire or need for convenience, but actually from industry needing a market and propping it up and creating it. There is something called the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act that was introduced early this year by Senator Udall and Congressman Lowenthal that we helped craft and, and contributed to and were part of the big kickoff and an event on Capitol Hill. It puts a stop on any new development of plastic factories and development and a whole long laundry list of positive upstream things that we think need to happen in order to save humanity mm-hmm. from this crisis. All of those things still stand. If anything, they're even more important now because more and more industry is using this opportunity not only to take our tax dollars to bail themselves out, but also to promote their products and the you know concept of it's cleaner or safer and single use is going to protect you from getting um, sick and the virus. When soap and water used to wash things like your hands and your own reusable cups has been proven so far to be just as effective, if not actually safer, without all the additional problems that I've already spoken about. So there's kind of a need for thoughtful, respectful communicating and understanding of situations that a lot of people are in and the need for protective equipment and all of that, especially for frontline workers, whether they're healthcare or grocery store clerks. But there's also an important opportunity to educate people about reuse and to Mm -hmm. waste not, want not. And in the same way that folks are trying to grow their own tomatoes, even in a pot in the window in their apartment in New York or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be, it is a moment in time for a system shift that we need to choose which way we want to shift. Do we want to shift towards a healthy, regenerative, integrated ecosystem where we are part of a healthy system that works together. I mean, there's no waste in nature. Mm -hmm. Human beings have created an incredible massive system of waste. There's a member of our coalition who he calls it above ground mining, that all of these landfills are filled with all of this valuable material that should be Mm -hmm. being reused. And that it is like a design flaw that we just need to figure out how to use everything and use it again. Mm -hmm. I love that you bring up uh, this notion of reuse, because before COVID, my team had been tinkering on a new project with a bunch of popular quick service restaurants here in the city, effectively repurposing this notion of the reusable cup or mug, mm-hmm. except with bowls. So, I mean, you, we've seen uh, this concept popularized in some fashion with cafe chains. I know Starbucks has their own program, Dunkin' Donuts. And what we had thought is, why can't that model be repurposed for the everyday food that we buy all the time? Just salad, chipotle, dos toros, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a really promising conversation. And then COVID comes along and is a kill shot. And now, same even with the reusable mug programs that have been around for a couple of years, those have been discontinued entirely, at least for the time being. So you know, as I see a future where 
reusable bowls could be very promising and you could tie in a host of rewards programs and ways to to drive loyalty so it's interesting to orgs as much as customers but now i look at this and i say oh like does this conversation now get punted down the pike you know now put at the bottom of the totem pole what do you think is going to happen here? Is Reusable going to come back with a vengeance or is this a full reset on all the progress we've been making? It, it is a debate within the movement right now. There are people thinking we've been set back 10 or more years um, and all the progress and policies and systems that have already been put out there and were being implemented. And then there are other folks, and there are even some articles that I've seen just really recently that, no, is this is not just bounce back, but bounce forward, that we can leapfrog some of the systems that weren't working, and we know there are systems that can improve our lives and our health at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we have now, not only are we over 1,200 coalition member organizations and business, we are now nearly equal businesses and organizations. So we have over 600 business members of our coalition. The majority of them are the small startups, the innovators, the alternatives. And one of them is called Vessel. They started in Brooklyn, then they were in Boulder and now in Berkeley. And they're doing a pilot in San Francisco with a, you know, Fortune 50 coffee chain with their system. And they have QR codes on the bottom of reusable insulated coffee cups that you check out that cup. So you don't need to own and keep track of your own reusable container. And they have drop-off points either at the point of service or other places where you then return those cups within a time period. Otherwise you get charged for it and Mm -hmm. they have it washed in return and it's all sanitary and secure. Um, similarly, there are a bunch of other folks like that, uh, companies doing those kinds of things, whether it's for bowls or, or other objects or, you know, mm-hmm. vessel is called vessel cause it's not just about coffee cups. There are also coalition members that are in the pulp paper business and a lot of that kind of disposable re, you know, single use, but not as bad for you or the planet kind of products mm-hmm. or bamboo, those kinds of things that are part of the coalition there there there's a lot of companies that only package in glass there are companies that that like the the refill shops there's one in Brooklyn that has also really gotten a significant uh, investment now from major VCs and they're expanding mm-hmm. and a lot of these are women owned women started companies so mm-hmm. you know Dagny Tucker's the founder of Vessel she's a, she was a finalist for the Nat Geo Ocean Plastic reduction prize. The company that won that is called El Gramo, A-L-G-R-A-M-O, a Chilean company. And they have gotten huge investments. They won the MIT Solve Prize. They've won a whole bunch of other prizes. They are a refill kind of kiosk system. Like imagine the three-site wheel bicycle with a big thing on the back that drives to your village and refills and saves people money because a lot of what's happening also in, in particular in Southeast Asia are these things called sachets. They're single use packaging. They're like an envelope, but they're multi-layer and multi-material packages. They're not recyclable. They're incineratable, which has all kinds of particulate matter issues and other health concerns. So single use shampoo, single use laundry detergent, you know, single use packets of these things is more packaging, it's not recyclable, it's more pollution, and there's actually like a 40% or more markup. But for someone who can't afford to buy a big bottle of something, 
they think, or it's the only thing they can do is get that single use to wash their clothes. Whereas El Grandma's model, that bottle, that big bottle for your laundry detergent has an RFID code on it. You only get charged for how much you fill it up and you value that bottle and you keep that bottle. It, it, it transforms the notion of ownership and what it means to keep containers of all different kinds over a long period of time. I know a what seems to be a very similar concept in Loop, right? Mm-hmm. Spun out of TerraCycle. Yep. That seems like a, a really promising version of the future that I buy into. Julia, we, we, should, we should jam on all these things. One big thing on all of this. So all of the, the quarterly returns right now, the social return on investment investments. So the investments in the Loop system, the investments in Vessel, the investments in refillable stores, those things are seeing like 88% return on investment. So for, for in funders right now, all of this regenerative, reusable, healthier future kind of products and systems are doing well, if not doing exceptionally well. 300, 400% increase in business for some of these folks. That's so interesting. So in the Algramo model, do you schedule a time that you will be home so that when they're scheduling their courier, you're actually meeting face-to-face versus what I think the loop model is, which is like, hey, it's almost like delivery. You leave your your finished container, they give you a new one, and they reintegrate it into the supply chain. Is the Algramo model much more, a little bit more high touch, where you're seeing someone and you're engaging with them? Yeah, right? they've got multiple models in different markets, and they were supposed to, last time when I saw them, when they won the prize, I was at National Geographic for the awards night, they had were in talks for expanding in New York, and also had been contacted about opening up in India. They also have in their presentation, a model of like a go-to kind of dispensing machines that are just there. So you can go do it anytime you want. So they, they've got multiple, you know, avenues for delivery. What I think could be really interesting as well is, so convenience stores are, are a fascinating model. They're, they're not going anywhere. Certainly COVID has accelerated some trends, but the convenience store is just that, especially in New York. Even I don't really order that many things online because 50 feet away, there's a Rite Aid or Dwayne Reed. So it is quite literally convenient, but I could see a scaled version of this could be refill stations that are built yeah. or in, why not inside of apartment buildings? Why can't this be on the ground floor? So it almost feels like you have the convenience of being at home always. And then the infrastructure layers, you have a network of people that go and refill those particular products at the locations. Yep. I don't know. That could be a model that, that could be interesting. Something El Grandma is thinking about or looking at. I mean, it'd be good for you to, to talk to them as well. We got to yeah. get them on the pod. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> happy to introduce you. So the other reason to have a coalition is... We ourselves and our own staff talk to the press all the time, but we also have a list of who to talk to about what and who to recommend, Mm -hmm. which kind of format to be interviewed, you know, on TV Mm -hmm. or those kinds of things, depending on the story or the issue, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. we help connect dots. We help support our coalition members. We help highlight different campaigns and activities they've got going on. You should take take a look at, at the list of our business members and 
there will be all kinds of great folks you should um, have on the podcast. Amazing. So let's segue to the future of the organization. I'm on your site now. I see a couple projects listed. In your mind, what's a project or two that you're currently working on that you're really excited about? Thank you. That's a great question. One of the biggest ones, if you go to the resource section, is the Global Legislative Toolkit. So this has been in development for a while. We're still in beta, but it is all in one place. Examples of policies, regulations, and laws at every level, state, local, national, international, other countries related to plastic bags, bottles, refillables, straws, et cetera. Because one of the number one things we found people would get from going to our previous versions of our website was how to start a plastic bag ban in your own town. So we're super Super. excited about that. And we have coalition um, member organizations that are key partners in keeping up the data, staying up to date on all what's happening, especially now, because in addition to what was already happening, which um, we call preemption laws, there are numerous states in the United States that at the state level have passed laws preemptively banning any local jurisdiction from banning a plastic bag. What? Yes, which I'd say is fairly unconstitutional, but it seems to actually have been working. And a lot of that is a template boilerplate model of preemption that is being shared amongst certain predominantly conservative legislators, and probably through ALEC, which is a system of helping legislators out of the box. Here's a template for some legislation we conservative X, Y, and Z think you would you know, like to implement wow. your own community. So preemptive bans of bans have been going on for a while now. And now on top of that, rollbacks to existing regulations or laws or soon to be implemented bag or polystyrene or et cetera thing. So this has been happening predominantly since the pandemic and different legislatures have put pauses on implementing things that had already been passed. Others have rolled things back. The fact that Starbucks came out early on in the pandemic saying we're not going to use refillables or reusables in the store and we won't fill up your refillable because we're protecting our you know employees you know, understandable and and protecting employees is super huge part of the equation. And we support not only a fair worker's future in a multitude of ways, but there are ways to still use reusables and protect employees and you protect yourself Mm -hmm. where your cup's been kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's all of that going on and having a repository of the laws and keeping track of it all and having that be shareable at a global scale is a huge gap that we identified along with key coalition members a few years ago that everybody was looking for. Julia, uh, before we part ways, I want to segue to something that is actually not specific to the coalition. You know, I'm looking on the website and I see the broad spectrum of things that you've been involved with, right? Everything from what seems to be the Women's National Democratic Club, to Planned Parenthood, to the U.S. State Department. And you've been going at this for 10 years, right? I, I love talking about this notion of the idea graveyard, right? Mm. I'm guessing that you and I are probably alike where maybe we have this note in our notes app of a laundry list of ideas or these things that we 
really like but end up just tossing away to our graveyard because we don't have the time to execute on these things. So my question for you, and you can take it which whichever way, is one of these ideas that are rotting away in your idea graveyard that you would love to work on if you had the time to do so? Well, thank you. We've been at the coalition for a little over 10 years. I myself have been in DC for over 25 years, initially to work in the State Department on international family planning and reproductive health policy, which I feel like is totally related to plastic pollution because it affects everyone's reproductive health, not just humans, but animals and plants. And Personally, as a mother of an an eight-year-old, having more quality focus time instead of trying to homeschool well work full time (laughs) during a Mm -hmm. pandemic, it would be nice to have more time for that if I wasn't, you know, working on this is a passion project in in many ways. and, And I feel extremely fortunate that I continue to get to work on things that I really care about. You know, I've toyed with writing a book or something along those lines. That would be, mm-hmm. I think, an interesting thing to do next at some point. I love it. Before we hopped on to the listeners, Julia and I were riffing on her most recent road trip. So I was going to say, hey, you know, maybe there's some solution to, to child car sickness or, you know, the next Nancy Drew. <laughs> oh, maybe maybe you'll get your, your hand in writing and, and some crime mystery for the kiddos. Yeah. Julia, you know, before we part ways, what I'd love to do is roll the red carpet. You know, are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, you know, anything that you would like to leave with our listeners, the floor is yours. Well, thank you so much. This is, this has been fun and um, always enjoy talking to fellow thinker innovators. I would say if, if you're interested in this issue, check us out at plasticpollutioncoalition.org, join the coalition and if you need to take a deep dive, one of the quickest ways to do it is to watch the Story of Plastic documentary film that just aired on Discovery Channel starting on Earth Day and is still airing. And I believe it aired in 163 countries around the world. We helped make the film. And the trailer for the film is super fun and exciting. And it has a new song by the singer-songwriter Jackson Brown called Downhill From Anywhere that he wrote to follow on to a song he wrote 10 years ago that he performed for the first time at a conference we organized called TEDx Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And we're looking at doing a 10 year since that conference this fall in November, and it'll be 100% virtual. So you can participate from anywhere in the world and it'll be solutions to the plastic pollution crisis. And we welcome your input, involvement, et cetera. But the story of plastic documentary from extraction to waste management, the global problem, extremely well done by the Story of Stuff project and great filmmakers who we are very proud to call partners in this movement. So join us. Julia, you rock. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll have to do this when that conference comes around. Would love to. Great to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also, if you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at In Good Hands. Also, special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Peter A. Levin. And that's it. 
Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.